Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday. March 9th, 2018. What's up, y'all? Super producer JQ is here sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is taking care of some personal issues and our hearts and minds go out to him. But we have a great show for you today. We're not going to let anything slow us down. It's Friday. We don't take it easy. We don't slow down. We go full speed ahead all the way to the end, baby. Today, we're going to uh, we're gonna welcome uh, Ken Wiseman. Ken's been on the show before. He is the, ele- he is the Associate Director of the VFW's Legislative Service, and he's going to be talking to us about some scholarship things that have been going on at the VFW. Very cool. And later on in the show, we will talk to Cameron Cruz. Now, Cameron is the co-founder and COO of uh, R Riveter. Now, what is R Riveter doing? They're doing some fantastic things. They're making cool products. They appeared on the show Shark Tank. That was really cool. And uh, you'll learn more about them and more here today on the morning briefing. And I also want to take this time to remind you to follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. We're all over, baby. Follow us, and you'll know exactly when things go down in the veteran community because we are the veteran community. We are connected to you. You're connected to us. Everyone that works here at Connecting Vets is a veteran or veteran adjacent. Well, that's not, that's not true. We have one person that works at the uh, at the National Guard. So, But still, not exactly a veteran, but close enough. You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. You're National Guard. You're not exactly really in the Army, are you? Ooh, Burn. I apologize to Kayla Jackson. I'm just playing around. Anyway, so there's a lot of stuff going on, but there's one thing I want to talk about, and I have to start by giving you a little bit of background on myself, because if there's anything radio people love to do, it's talk about themselves. Now, I have been a gamer my whole life. I've been playing video games since I was but a wee lad. But a wee little lad out there in uh, Houston, Texas. So I don't know why I'm speaking with an Irish accent. <clears throat> but anyway, so to, co- to completely date myself, my first uh, console was the Atari 2600. That old wood vinyl look on that. Remember that? Yeah, Pitfall, Pac-Man, Centipede, Pong, you know, all the originals. And as I grew up and I kept playing, the games got more and more violent. I have vivid memories of being eight years old upstairs in my dad's office at our house playing Doom 2 on the computer. That was a classic. That's a good game, isn't it? And I specifically remember I would put in the infamous IDDQD cheat to get myself god mode and run around and I would punch demons until they would explode into a fleshy pink pulp. I would giggle uproariously as I took a shotgun to a zombie's head. I would laugh hysterically as I took the shame shotgun and mowed down his comrades. And I would do the same over and over again like a little maniac at eight years old. There's a reason I'm telling you all this, not just to brag and boast about my uh, gaming proficiency, but to tell you that if there was a link between violent behavior and violent video games, I would make Jeffrey Dahmer look like a member of the Partridge family. Okay? Uh, so, I completely lost my place there. Jonathan out there uh, distracted me. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, so that's the thing I'm telling you about, is that if there was a link between violent behavior and violent video games, I'd be the most violent man on the planet. And I'm not. 
I am just, I hate confrontation. I don't like getting into arguments. I don't like fights. I'm not that type of guy. So knowing that the president, President Trump yesterday hosted a meeting of several people in Congress and members of the gaming community to investigate possible links between violence and video games. Now, in recent interviews, Trump has been hinting at blaming mass shootings and violence on violent imagery in TV, movies, and video games. Now, if you know your history, you know this is not a new phenomenon. Video games have been the target of choice for politicians since they started getting more, quote-unquote, realistic. Uh, those old enough might remember former Senator Joe Lieberman actually ran a campaign against the original Mortal Kombat. Uh, he actually asked politicians to outright ban violent video games. And later on in 2005, then-Senator Hillary Clinton introduced legislation to make it illegal to sell or rent games rated mature or adults only by the, by the Entertainment Software Rating Board, otherwise known as the ESRB. So this has been a historical thing for politicians because when these things happen, look, let me break this down for you all. The reason they're doing this is because they need to find someone to blame. And that is just human nature. When bad things happen, we want to blame other people. Or we want to find something to blame, something that we can point at and say, that is why this happened. But you look at the realistic aspects of it, you look at the facts, you can't legislate crazy. And as much as some may like, we're not going to legislate guns. So we have to blame something, and video games have been a popular target since back in the day. And when you look at it, it on the surface, it kind of makes sense. Because you look at games like the 2016 reboot of Doom, or the Fallout or Skyrim series, or the Manhunt series, or Grand Theft Auto, and there is just so much violent imagery there. Demons exploding, you know, killing... <laughs> In, I remember in G Grand Theft Auto 3, it was possible to have sex with a prostitute and then run her over with your car to get your money back. So, uh, yeah, lots of violence. But you got to understand, we've been studying this for 20-plus years, and in that time, there has never been a conclusive link between violent behavior and violent video games. So... Uh, in the wake of yet another mass shooting, it's really not surprising that President Trump is calling this meeting. What surprised me, or really, if I think about it, shouldn't surprise me, is how laughably lopsided the meeting is. Uh, recently, CNN's Jake Tapper got a hold of the list of attendees, and I'm telling y'all, it reads like a who's who of the video games are evil crowd. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, you got Senator Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, now, and then you have uh, Repu Representative Martha Roby, Republican from Alabama. Now, these two have never been outspoken towards uh, video games, but they are, they do have a habit of following the conservative crowd. So if there's an outcry against violent video games, they're going to be the ones to do it. And then also you have Representative Vicki Hartzell, Republican of Missouri, who has been vocal against video games ever since the Sandy Hook shooting. So that's there. And it's not just politicians. Also in attending there is Bryant is Brent Bro, Bo, blah, Brent Bozel from the Media Research Center. If you've never heard of them, they're a conservative media watchdog group that's been blaming mass violence on video games since Sandy Hook. Also in also in attendance it will be Melissa Hansen from the T Parents Television Council. And she has gone, again, on record multiple times blaming Hollywood, television, and other media for, quote-unquote, the downfall of society. There's even going to be a retired soldier there, retired Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. <clears throat> Surely a retired soldier would not let such baseless accusations go, except for the fact that he wrote two books called one called On Killing, The Psychological Cost of Learning to Kill in War and Society, and Assassination, Generation, Video Games, Aggression, and the Psychology of Killing. Ah. Okay, then. So again, so that's... Seven. 
So that's seven people in attendance that are going to be poo-pooing video games. There's some people there that will be on our side, like Robert Altman, the chairman and CEO of ZeniMax. Uh, they own Bethesda Studios. You'll know them from uh, Doom, Fallout, Skyrim, uh, Elder Scrolls, all those games. And then uh, also Strauss Zelnick of Take-Two Interactive. They, they're behind Bioshock, Borderlands, XCOM, and all that good stuff. So there are going to be people there who are going to argue in favor of, or rather argue that video games aren't evil, but it's still lopsided. And again, there's never been a link between violence and behavior in video games. And again, take it from a guy who's been listening, playing Doom since age eight and listening to death metal since age 13. Violent imagery don't make you crazy. Crazy makes you crazy. That's me. Anyway, I'm joined in the studio right now by a uh, incredibly handsome, talented, and beautiful human being. And slightly crazy. Yes, uh, and that person and uh, Jonathan Copanger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just kidding. I love you, Jonathan. Anyway, you have a story uh, called Benefits in My Backyard yep. on ConnectingVets.com. What exactly are benefits in my backyard? This is a series um, that I've done on uh, state benefits that veterans can get. Um, I, I've realized that a lot of veterans don't re know that there's specific benefits at, at the state level that are really kind of good. Um, you can get uh, uh, money for college or for your kids. You can get money for for you for college. You can um, get your a lot of you. Most states will waive a good amount of your property tax if you're a veteran. Um, if you have a disability, then a lot of times you get 100% of it waived. Um, registering your car, buying cars, things like that. Um, I think it's, uh, I want to say, oh, I forget which state it is now. Uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's Oklahoma, where veterans don't have to pay sales tax. They don't have to do a lot of things. It's really kind of interesting if you dig down into it, what you can get just for being a veteran. Yeah, there's. it's very funny to me that there's all these benefits and all these you know, tax breaks and sales and all this other kind of stuff for veterans. But they're just, why do you think it is they're never advertised like they should be? Why don't states make, or, or why aren't states more vocal about this kind of thing, do you think? You know, I don't know. And, and it's weird because some of the state websites for benefits for veterans aren't the best. Um, there was a couple, I forget which one that I did yesterday. There was three and one in particular that I actually had to dig through laws to find out information because their, their website just wasn't Good. It, it, this just didn't have any information. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I maybe it's because there's not that many veterans. I, I don't know. The, the the veterans that I did uh, for next week, it's less than fifty. Uh, it's half a million veterans for the three states that I'm going to do next week. So as as I go through the series, there's less and less veterans in these states, um, and I and the benefits are fewer. So maybe veterans in some of these states just need to be a little bit more vocal. Because if you ask, I, I've I've found that if you ask, you can get things. Just for going to your tax office and say, hey, I'm a veteran. What can you do for me? Most states, the only state that won't do anything is Delaware. But most states will actually do something for you. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Delaware is the only state that doesn't have specific tax breaks for veterans. Don't know why. Well, they just, they're a bunch of hippies. They hate veterans, man, <laughs> let me tell you. No, I know this too because uh, this, is, this is an embarrassing story about myself. When I first joined the Army way, way back in 2003, uh -huh. that's ancient days. I mean, you were in like what when? Uh, I was in the 80s. Yeah, Nathaniel Hale was in <laughs> right? the Navy, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, when I first joined, uh, I was offered the Montgomery GI Bill, not uh -huh. the Post 11. This is before that. So the Montgomery GI Bill. I actually turned it down uh -huh. because I knew that Texas had the Hazelwood Act yeah. that would have paid for my college. Yeah. And as a dumb kid, I figure, well, that's that's another $100 in every paycheck for, for a year. Mm -hmm. I'll take that. And it wasn't until later that I realized, hey, I turned down a lot. Yeah. Luckily, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, covered yeah. by the post-9-11 <laughs> GI Bill. But yeah, so looking at your thing, mm -hmm. uh, in Iowa, there's a uh, veterans grant program uh, that can provide a total of $10,000 in four increments to, as a way to give immediate financial assistance to veterans uh, to veterans and family members while they recover from their injuries. Yeah, so if you, are, if you live there and you are injured while on active duty and you have to be sent home, then your family can get th this grant. And it's a total of 10 grand, um, and it's a one-time grant, um, but you get it in four increments of you know, $2,500. Uh, it, it's kind of incredible that they have that for you, but it, it's just to, so that your family can be there with you to help you recover. And that's kind of the coolest little benefit, I think. I, I, it's really, I, I was shocked by that. Yeah, no, so this is uh, for, 
who exactly is this? Is this for like veterans who come home injured yeah. and they have if, to recover? If you're injured while on active duty and you're and you're a resident of that state and you have to be sent home, now you, it's um you you have to have the care in your if I I believe I'm I'm going to say this correctly, but I think that you have to have the care in your home um, while you're recovering, and they will give you ten grand to do that. Oh wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing Iowa has uh, it's too late to apply to the grant for next for another team, but next year the, the, oh, for the down payment on the home. Yeah, the military home ownership assistance program. Normally, the grant is five thousand dollars, and you can use it in combination with a plus grant, which gives you a total of seventy five hundred dollars to add to a down payment on a home. Yeah. Now they've they've run out of money for this already this year, so this is for <laughs> something. Well, it, it obviously is popular. I mean, it, it's money. Um, and you just apply for both of these grants. Um, I would suggest if you're there in the state, check into it now for next year. But you can apply for these grants, and you get seventy five hundred dollars to put down towards a home. Wow, that is. There's so much stuff here that again, I can't. You know, well, I know why they don't advertise it better because that's more money they have to yeah. spend. But with all the lip service people give veterans, you would think that they'd be more about this. And I believe Iowa also has um, the state uh, veterans association. There has. Um, uh, people on staff that will actually you you can call and you will they will walk you through what you what you can get. So th- there's a lot of things that I can't find. I just don't know where to, where to look for for some of this stuff. But th- at least in Iowa they have these uh, specialists that will actually do the work for you. And if you have um, issues with any claims on the state level, they can help you with that too. So they're really good. That state they're really good. Yeah, and I'm also looking at this thing called the War Orphans Educational Aid. Yeah. Was that in, in Iowa or was that in Iowa. Kansas? Okay. Is that the one where it's almost $11,000? Over 11000 Yeah. Isn't that kind of incredible? And this is, but again, I mean, it's very specific. You have to have, um, the veteran has died during a war or I think a prisoner of war, I think would qualify as yeah, well. The children of veterans killed after September 11, 2011. Yeah. Uh, and then for let's see, I'm just I'm I'm reading the article as we go, so give me a second here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, dependents of veterans who were killed before 9/11 can get up to $600 per year and a maximum of $3,000 total for education. Yeah. Now that doesn't sound like much, but that will cover your books. That will cover yeah. you know something for you. And there's probably other grants and and benefits there that that I couldn't find. Um, there was one in particular. Uh, I can't think of what it was now. There's so many, and, and I'm already working on the one for next week, so I've already <laughs> forgotten what what happened for this week. <laughs> Um, I think that what every veteran should do is just get a hold of their state veteran office and just start asking questions. If you start asking questions, somebody's going to have to dig up the answer. If you find, if you get a little bit annoying, that's probably a little bit better. Ask those questions, find out what they can do for you. If you served in the military, you deserve these benefits. These are yours that you earned. And the fact that they're not publicized, I don't know if that's so much shady or if they're just trying to protect themselves. I, I don't know, but just ask. Just call and ask. Okay. You have another story here. Uh, uh, said The headline is, Secretary Shulkin says huge VA restructuring after failures at DC's VAMC. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Could you know, can you know exactly what the problems were? Because, again, I go to the DC VA for care. Mm-hmm. I never had a problem. I've never noticed anything. So I didn't know this place was, like, apparently sucked. <laughs> You know, and I'm having, I'm over here having a great time. I, you know, now I know it's like, I feel bad. I shouldn't have been praising this place. Do you know exactly what the problems were with this place? There's, there was a lot of problems. There was the, um, mainly it was leadership. Leadership just wasn't doing their job. You have the the people on the front lines, the the regular uh, doctors, nurses, things like that. They're doing a fabulous job. You rarely get any complaints about them, but it, it was a leadership. So since last year, it's almost completely new leadership. There at VA at, at the medical center there in DC. Um, when I was working at the VA, we would have to go there every once in a while, and it was like pulling teeth to get us to go there to do something because it was just <laughs> we knew how bad it was. So for for leadership at headquarters to say that they didn't know what was going on, uh, I'm saying no to that. I, I don't believe that one bit. There were certain things the the um, uh, whole new program that they had to to get uh, supplies was so convoluted. Nobody wanted to use it. They spent millions of dollars on this program. Nobody used it. Um, there it was, just because it was very not user-friendly? Yeah, it just wasn't user-friendly. And, you know, <clears throat> to that I say, we'll learn it. Because yeah. if it's something that taxpayers have paid for, then you need to deal with it. So there's that issue. There were just maybe a little bit of laziness. Um, there was, I know, <laughs> when they did an inspection, there was this big warehouse there. And I only know this because when where I worked 
at the VA, when we would have to access equipment, we would have to take it to this, this place. That was the only place we could take it is DC. There was this huge, massive warehouse and full of equipment, full of some of it old, some of it good, some of it just, just trash. But they had no idea what was there. They had no inventory. They had no clue. They had, uh, I forget the exact amount, and I wanted to say millions of dollars, but maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. A lot of money in equipment that was never used, hidden. Like equipment, like medical equipment? Yeah. Just stuff that they didn't know that they had. They had no clue what was there. Some of the supplies that they that they had ordered in the past, they stocked up on, and they just didn't know how much they had. So it was kind of a waste of money because some of this stuff has a shelf life, and you can't use it after a certain amount of time. So there was that. Um, some of the other issues. I do know that uh, the prosthetics um, department, they had over, I want to say, 9,000 backlog of over 30 days. And this is what I find interesting because – the DC Medical Center has this really good program of um, to help veterans when when they get a new prosthetic or whatever, just deal with basic life. They have a little town built in there. It's a little, very small, but like um, a grocery store, uh, ATM, things like that, where you need to learn if you, if you have a new arm, you need to learn how to use it for certain things. Right. So they, it was a really good program, but to get the prosthetic took forever. Don't know why. So now that's been cleared up. They don't have any, there's zero that are over 30 days. It was, that's a, the magic number. There could be some that are still a little bit. I believe the wait time right now is two, two days and they want to change that. And this is one of the new changes that's going to be for the overall VA. They want to change it. So it's same day service. If you go in to get your prosthetic arm, you're going to get it that day. That's what they want. And it seems kind of logical. You yeah. need your arm. Yeah. Right. So there, there's little things like that. There's a lot of little, little, little things that, just systemic of the VA in general. And most of it is leadership. It's not the workers. And, and, I, and I, I, I like to say that a lot. It's not the doctors and nurses. It's not the people at, at the front desk. It's the leadership that has just maybe has this malaise for yeah, years. Yeah, kind of gotten entrenched in their positions yeah. and their little not. So, I'm okay, brace yourself. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, and again, you're not speaking for Connecting Vets or anything like that. I'm just curious – what is your stance on the whole privatization stance? I don't like it. You don't, don't like, like it? it at all. And I did an article, I think it was last week, where I kind of pieced together how the Trump administration has placed people in key spots at the VA to help privatization along. I believe that because I, I signed up to join the military, I volunteered for this was after the draft. I volunteered to do this. Now, I did not. I, I did not. I, I went to a couple wars, but I was a journalist, so my my input to this is a little bit different. But if we did this, if, if our country said they would take care of us, and it's been this way for a long time, now they're making money off of soldiers dying. We have private organizations over there taking care of things like that, and now they want to make money off of trying to fix soldiers and, and sailors. You know, the military. I think that's wrong. I think it's absolutely wrong. The government needs to take care of this. The government needs to clean their nose, take care of the VA, sort things out, and start taking care of veterans. No, and, I, and I kind of agree. I mean, I'm now. Uh, how do I how do I put this? I'm not the biggest fan of. I don't like that big government stuff, but uh, I do agree. This is one of the government's primary functions. Is yeah. to, when you you have soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen that go out and fight and risk their lives and sign on the dotted line saying, "Hey, yeah. I'm willing to die for this." You should take care of them, and you shouldn't just well. Here's some money. Go see whatever doctor you want to see. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me that that's the kind of thing that they want to go towards. And I think the civilian population kind of agrees with us. It's like that you know, I, I my husband would not join the military. Okay, <laughs> he, he just wouldn't. That he's just not that type of a person. So he understands that I did, and I look at things a little bit differently. And I expect my country to take care of me in certain ways. And he's fine with that. He is absolutely fine with that because I actually took that step and I volunteered to serve my country right and uh and i agree it's like that i don't know it's just <laughs> it's a weird thing because on the one hand it's like when you listen to the arguments and you hear well, we just want soldiers they, they make the arguments about we just want soldiers to be able to make their own health care decisions yeah. okay i get that but it, it, it's gonna cost more money to do so yeah. and you're not you're gonna lose the quality control over the health, Absolutely. I think, and it's just it, it 
it's just, like you said, it's about, I mean, I know Joe Schnelli is kind of going running around with his hair on fire talking about the Koch brothers, but mm, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's been on, he's been on Twitter getting in some fights. I, I'm on his side of that, but, but you even did an article recently about, um, I know we're running out of time here, but about how doctors, civilian doctors just aren't prepared to take care of, yeah. of, of veterans, right? Yeah, it was like, I think it was uh, 75% of doctors in New York just weren't equipped to handle the myriad of problems, the common issues that happen with veterans. Yeah. And to get them trained up and, again, get the money, it just, it costs so much. So, but that's me, you know. And me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, John the Copanger, thanks so much for hanging out. Yep. And uh, don't forget that... Coming up in just a second, we're talking to Ken Wiseman of the VFW about some of their college stuff. He's sitting up there while on his phone. Hi, Ken. <laughs> and later on, we're going to talk to people from R Riveter. So uh, stick around here for the morning briefing for Friday on the 9th, 2018. Be right back. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Little Megadeth to start your Friday, because hey, it's Friday. It's almost the weekend. Get pumped! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> What's up, everybody? JQ's here on the morning briefing for Friday, March 9th, 2018. Once again, host Eric Dame is out handling some personal business, and our hearts and minds go out to him. Let's hope everything turns out there. Turns out well there. Now, I want to take this time to once again remind you, and I'm gonna keep reminding you until you do it. Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get all the knowings, the goings on, all the knowings about the goings on in the veteran community. And you'll know exactly when we post a story, know exactly when things pop off. And it'll be a lot of cool stuff for you to read, learn, and get edumacated. Get all, get all edumacated. Anyway, so, so. We have talked with a lot of veteran-owned businesses here on The Morning Briefing, and all of them doing really cool stuff, making incredibly unique products, selling things by veterans, for veterans, all this kind of stuff. But one place we don't talk about as much is spouse-owned businesses, because it happens a lot, a lot of times. You'll see spouses will go on places like Etsy or eBay and they'll make like little crafts and sort of uh, hand and sort of sell them like that as a second form of income. Well, on the phone right now, we have someone who went a little bit past Etsy. They went all the way to ABC's Shark Tank and now they're a big company. We are talking with Cameron Cruz from R Riveter. Cameron, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. We also have Lisa Bradley, my business partner, on the line too. Oh, awesome! Hi, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Here, you got a soul. <laughs> happy Friday. So, how are you, ladies, doing today? Fantastic. Amazing. Okay, awesome. So, let's start off with a little bit of background, uh, Cameron. So, you're not a veteran, but you're a spouse, correct? Correct. My husband's an active duty service member. He's been in for 19 years now. Okay. So, where did where did the first idea for our Riveter come? Well, Lisa and I met when our husbands were both stationed in the Ranger, um, the 5th Ranger Training Battalion in Dahlonega. And we both found ourselves, like many military spouses do, unemployed and overeducated and underexperienced. And we realized really quickly that if we wanted something, that we were going to have to make it ourselves. And one thing led to another, and our Riveter was born. Okay, so let's back up a step. Probably should have asked this question before the other one. Exactly what is our Riveter? Like, what do y'all make? What kind of business are you? So we, excuse me, uh, we empower military spouses through our Canvas and Mother handbag line. And the basis behind the company is that we have military spouses located all across the country. They're our national network of manufacturing. So we've kind of redefined what it means to manufacture in America with our Riveter handbags. And they're at home sewing the liners to our handmade collection, the shells, and stamping out the leather. And then, and they're doing that all when it best fits their schedule. 
and then they we buy those parts from them. They ship them out to North Carolina where we assemble and brand the handbags and they send them out to our customers. Awesome. That's really cool. You're helping, you're not just selling something, you're also helping other spouses. That's awesome. So tell me, are your husbands, are they still in the military or are you now veteran spouses? We kind of represent a, a large demographic of military spouses. My husband transitioned out, so now I'm a veteran military spouse. Yeah, and my husband's still active duty here at Fort Bragg. Okay, uh, so Lisa, tell me a little bit. Of wh- how is that transition like going from your for your husband going from active duty to civilian? How like how was that experience for you? It was a really great experience for me to go through. It's just so I know what every phase of being a military spouse. I think once you're in, you will always be a military spouse, and you'll always know and be part of that community. But transitioning with him through that was, was an interesting part of our, our lives. And it was really interesting. He went to, he went to business school after he was in active duty. And I really appreciated that. It actually helped our business grow. It helped us grow together because we had a common language business to speak about. So it was a really good time for, for our marriage as well as for his career to transition out of the military. He actually now works for Amazon and they move us more frequently than the army ever did. So um, <laughs> we were definitely, <laughs> Amazon really likes military folks because they're really good at moving. <laughs> yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So, uh, yeah. so you started this company way back when, and tell me how big are you now? Like it went from, I'm assuming from you making handbags basically in your spare bedroom. And now tell me about the size of your company now. Right. Yeah, it went from two of us in an attic, uh, <laughs> and we always knew we were. We always wanted the company to become a national network of of military spouses. And I think once you plan for something and you say you're going to do it, and it just one step after another, it, it begins to happen. And so now we've provided over 100 military families with income in 2017, and we have 32 employees and 28 independent contractors. Awesome. That's a lot of stuff. Now, tell me, uh, how did you end up on Shark Tank? Like, how did, tell me the events leading up to that. Well, I mean, we just kept, we kept working and kept doing, and one thing led to another, and we got noticed, um, I, I think, via our Kickstarter. And we realized that Shark Tank was just such an incredible opportunity to tell our story and tell the story of other military spouses and military families. And, you know, not very many people get to experience the military community and that lifestyle. So, um, uh, you know, we got noticed because we, we just put one foot in front of the other and kept working hard every day. And we saw an opportunity and we took it. So what was that experience like being on national TV and talking to all those rich to do people? How was that? Yeah, it's terrifying and exciting. (laughs) You're talking to five of the country's best business leaders and they're going over every single detail and decision you ever made. And it's, it can be a little intimidating, but it was, it was definitely one of the best things we ever did. Um, I, I remember we were trying to decide if it was something we wanted to do is go and explain everything, every decision we ever made with our business and, really came down to when you're trying to grow something and you're trying to do something good, such as our mission at our Riveter, there's really no way you can say no to something like that. Mm-hmm. So looking back, it was definitely one of the best things we did. Cool. So you started two ladies in an attic making handbags. Now you're this big company spanning hundreds of military families. Uh, tell me, how do you? How is it decided what you sell? Because I'm looking on your website right now, and under excess, and I'm seeing soap, I'm seeing bracelets, I'm seeing jewelry. So, is it like, do you tell people this is what we need, and then go find a spouse, or do spouses come to you and say this is what I can offer? I mean, at first, our product line was an extension of Lisa and I, so we did everything that we felt that we needed in in a, in a handbag. Um, then, as we started to grow, and after Shark Tank, we realized that. There are so many other military spouse and veteran-owned businesses out there, and one of the ways that we could give back is to just create a platform to curate and sell those items. So a lot of what we do is, you know, we source other businesses. If we find something um, cool and we know our customers are going to really resonate with it, that's really how that our Riveter marketplace has grown. So it just kind of started with us, and then we realized that as our community and our customer base grew, we 
Um, we could also support other other veteran and military spouse-owned businesses, so that was like a win-win for us. Absolutely. So if you are a military spouse or veteran-owned company out there and you're hearing this, reach out to us because we'd love to look at having you join our our, our River Marketplace vendors. Uh, let's see. Reach out to us. No, yeah, go, no, go at ahead. At and just reach out to us at sales at ourriveter.com. See, that, that's, that, I, I allowed that little plug. You can thank me later. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. So, um, oh, you're welcome. Anytime, anytime. So, um, again, looking around your website, and I'm seeing all these in the background, all these photos of these different spouses that are working for you, and it's really, really cool. So, do you have any like signature products, like things that are like your primary seller or the big thing you advertise? Definitely the auto. So the auto was yeah. our best-selling best seller, best handbag, um, named after Eleanor Otto, the last, uh, the Rosie the River that's actually getting the documentary after her um, mm-hmm. just recently, and it's our best-selling bag by far. Okay, so how do you, do you design all these yourselves, or do you like, you said you work with contractors. How exactly does the, um, did the designs come about? Right, so we design everything ourselves in-house and we take suggestions from our team members from and, and years of customer input and it all goes into the design of our handbags. Also, the manufacturing process has to be taken into consideration. We have, if you can imagine, parts and pieces coming from all across the country. And so a lot of those parts and pieces need to make sure that they align correctly and, and are able to be used for multiple different products. So the, de- the design also has been derived from our manufacturing process. But I think a really cool thing about our products is that every single piece is stamped by the riveter that made that piece. And so you really see a story coming together of of the military community, of America. And when a customer receives their R Riveter handbag, they can go through that product and be able to see every single person that went into making that handbag and go to our website and, and read about that individual. So when you talk about knowing who makes your product, you really can't get more specific than that. You're right. And, that, and that's really cool That because most handbag companies, they contract out to like, you know, underfunded, you know, places in like China or India or something. But y'all make your sins 100% grown in America. Uh, how do you get the materials? Because I'm, again, looking at the front page of your website. I'm seeing a lady uh, stamping a piece of leather. Like, where do you go about getting all the materials? Like, do you have contracts for that? Or do you just like pick them up in bulk or what? Yeah, I mean, we source all of our vendors as much as we can. We source domestically, and we make sure that whatever materials we're going to be shipping to our remote riveters, they're, they're the best materials that we can find for the for the best price for our customers because our riveters, you know, one of our big platforms that we stand on is, is the quality. So we want our quality to reflect the quality of the individuals making them and the quality that American Handmade can represent. So we just, you know, we have a, a very... Um, intense sourcing process and we just want to make sure that every handbag is, is perfect when it lands on the door of our customers yeah i mean this is amazing i'm on your website and i, I just clicked on the auto because you said it's your best-selling product and i'm looking mm-hmm. at you can see right here listed the names of the people that did the liners the people that did the uh the leather riveters and all this stuff that's really cool that y'all actually promote them like that Thank you. Yeah, I mean, our story is all about them. They are they are why we started this company, and you know, we always want to showcase that and put that at the forefront of our conversation. Yeah, actually, just one of our riveters. She's been a remote riveter for four years now, and her husband has deployed for the third time. And she reached out to our team. We have a, a portal that all the riveters are able to communicate and, and have that community. And she just reached out and said thank you so much to each and every one of them for all the support that they always give during during the deployments and and how much it means to be a riveter because it's something positive that she can go and do each day and count on the days until he comes home. And she just wanted to remind everybody that we're not just a handbag company. We don't just make handbags. It's so much more than that. So I thought that was a really cool story. It's those stories that, that really resonate with me. And, and I look back and think, you know, this is really each day why I get up. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, where do people go? Where do they, if they buy your stuff, can they only do it online or do you like, do you sell on like Amazon or any of these other like shopping places online or is it just your website? 
So at our website at ourriveter.com, and then we also have a flagship store in Southern Pines, North Carolina. So if anybody travels to the area, they're big golfers or the great family location to vacation, stop by and see our retail store. We're actually moving to Broad Street in May. So it's a really exciting thing for our company. So either visit us online or take a trip to Southern Pines, North Carolina. All right. Now, here is a bit of more of a personal question, but I'm curious. How does mm-hmm. it feel providing work and income for all these military spouses? Like, I know it's got to be a good feeling, but like, how does it feel knowing that you're helping these ladies who whose husbands may be deployed or anything like that, and you're helping them get that basic income in? How does that feel? Well, I know that when Lisa and I first met, we were going through this situation in our lives where we had both suffered kind of this major identity crisis. You know, we had different plans. We, you know, I graduated with a master's in architecture. I was going to be an architect with a hotshot portfolio and and an incredible wardrobe. (laughs) And then we moved into the middle of nowhere, um, North Georgia. And when we met, we instantly got to... We, we shared those same feelings. And then when we knew that our whole community was suffering from that same type of identity, identity loss and having those same feelings, you know, to be able to stand up and do something about that and build something that actually provides a solution is incredible. And I think becoming a military spouse was one of the, you know, most perspective shaking things that I ever did as an adult. And I think to be able to grow our riveter and do that with somebody like Lisa and have a team like we do today is, it's probably one of the, the coolest things short of being married and being a mom that I've ever experienced. Okay. So, <laughs> once again, I'm just trolling your website, looking at those, all this cool stuff, and I'm looking at your uh, the company partnerships. Uh, what's the Military Spouse Employment Partnership? What exactly is that? You know, it, well, go ahead, Lisa. Go, go ahead, Cameron. <laughs> um, it's a <laughs> no you no you no yeah, you yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it is basically an organization that allows allows businesses just like our riveter or large businesses to plug into the kind of help solve the military spouse unemployment issue so they just like us have taken on this this epidemic of military spouse unemployment and they're providing a way for large businesses and corporations and even small businesses like ours to be a part of that solution. Right. We're always we're always looking to partner with individuals that want to see a change in military spouse unemployment and and changing policy and encouraging small businesses and large companies to hire more military spouses. They're just such an amazing untapped work demographic that that everyone should be looking at hiring. And so we our river really stands behind changing policy and encouraging companies to hire more military spouses. All right. Now, what about the Warriors and Quiet Waters Foundation? How did y'all partner? How did y'all end up with them? So I'm, I'm from Montana, and Sims is located in Bozeman, Montana. And we became close friends with a couple of the people at the company, and they have an amazing organization where they, they plan a whole weekend for for wounded warriors and their caretaker or spouse to come up and have an amazing weekend in Montana fly fishing. And so we actually partner with them and and provide handbags to the spouses or the caretakers so that they have something that they can take home from that weekend that, that they can know that there's a huge community at our river behind them every day as they go through some of a more difficult time in their life. Well, that's a very cool organization. Now, uh, let's take a step back here. Uh, why did you, when you first started this company, you first decided, I want to make something that just to help get some basic income. Why did you decide on handbags? Bags, because you carry one every day. And unlike clothing, which is, um, at the time, may have been too technical for us to make anyway. Um, <laughs> unlike clothing, you don't you don't take it off and change it up every day and every week and every month. You know, you carry a handbag because you've invested in it, and it is something that to us represented a really nice utilitarian functional accessory, and it was really just an extension of the brand that we wanted to create. So it it was a win win. I mean, it was it was almost. I mean, Lisa, wouldn't you say it was almost just you know, natural. Right. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned at the beginning of of the phone call that a lot of military spouses start an Etsy company. And I think that that's one of the best ways to kind of 
dip into or dive into starting your own company and testing the waters. Um, I remember actually Cameron took me to the airport one day and she's like, you know, I just, the last time that I, I got a, I've applied, went all the way through the process and they saw my resume and saw how fragmented it is with moving and wouldn't offer me the job. And she's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to start my own business. I'm going to sell baby booties on, on Etsy. And I just was thinking, man, that's, you know, it's crazy that she has, a, she's so motivated, so smart, like so many of the military spouses I know. And, and I immediately heard a commercial that Starbucks was putting on about starting jobs in the USA and thought to myself, there's no better community that deserves to have the opportunity to have their own income stream. And so that was kind of the, the beginning idea behind our Riveter and, and being a national network of military spouses and using military spouses as, as the way to grow our company. Right. Right. So, all right, tell me this, what is a brand ambassador? Our brand ambassadors are a community of individuals that are military and non-military that believe in our mission and they carry our river handbags throughout their personal mission in their life. And they share their photos online and they get together and they meet all across the country. It's an amazing opportunity to represent our mission and people to get a little bit of free handbags along the way as well. Cool. So if someone, if a spouse wants to be uh wants to be a riveter what's the process they have to go through like do they have to prove themselves like send in a, a copy of their work or whatever what how does how do you go about hiring people yeah we have a screen process that starts on our website so you go basically follow the link to become a team member and become a riveter and you know we try to make it as easy as possible for somebody to plug into the network and start making money right away but basically what that involves is you know, a short application, and then we have a test kit process. So you buy a test kit, make parts that are very similar to the parts that we would have you make and that we would pay for in the network. And um, we get them back, quality control them. And if we feel like it's a good fit, um, you know, you're at that point, you, you have the opportunity to bid out and become a part of our remote riveter network. Nice. Now, Looking at your press website, you have been y'all have been everywhere. CNN, Fox News, The Blaze, USA Magazine, all these the New York Minute. How is it how have you adjusted to having all this attention on you? Like going from just a spouse to well I apologize, not just a spouse, but going from <laughs> a face in a crowd to being the face of this big company. How has that transition been for y'all? Um, I don't think that you really truly ever, or at least for me, I've never really truly got there. It's kind of funny how what life puts in front of you. I actually really did not like public speaking at all. I It's one of my the biggest things that I would not do. And so it's funny what, what life will put in front of you, but you, just, you know where this mission needs to go and you just, you do it. You take one step every day and, and you make it happen. And it's actually gotten so much easier and I really enjoy it now. Yeah, Lisa and I are both doers. So we both like to put our heads down and do the work. And so when it started coming to this point where we were now becoming a face of a company and we needed to do co-founder things, it was, yeah, if you would have told me five or six years ago, I love, I, I'm sorry, life, I, just, I would have laughed at you. I'm sorry, I just, I just love that co-founder things. Yeah, you know, the, the, the co-founder things. Yeah, those things. <laughs> because we like to do the work. But yeah, like Lisa said, life, life is going to ask, different things of you and you're not always prepared for that but we get through it day at one day at a time <laughs> all right so if people want to learn more about our riveter or if they want to purchase one of your fantastic products where do they go come on over to our that's like rosie the riveter that we named the company after it's world war ii icon so just remember rosie the riveter and head over to our website and search the not only the R Riveter made items, but also the R Riveter marketplace items, which again are military spouse and veteran owned companies that we resell their items on our website. Okay, yeah, you just uh, just quick question about that. So how do you how do uh, how do you decide what businesses you hire and let on your website? We go through a process of figuring out what items go really good together, and so it's it's goes into a, a team that's been designated at our Riveter to curate 
as many items as we can find that are military spouse or veteran owned. And the feedback that we've gotten from those companies is phenomenal. They've been able to grow three or four times and it's been a really great partnership with, with these companies. And we're, we're always looking to expand. So again, head over to our website and there's an email sales at our if if you're interested. Okay. Well, Ladies, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It was very informative. Y'all make a great product, and you're doing, if, if I may speak personally, you're doing a great thing for military spouses, and I just I thank you for all the work y'all do. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Okay, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope y'all have a fantastic day. You do. Well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Cameron Cruz and Lisa Bradley from uh, from rriver.com. If you like their stuff, go to rriver.com and find out all the cool things they have for sale there. Now, y'all, it's the weekend. It's almost over. The show is almost over, so I want to make sure I remind you to be safe this weekend. The usual safety brief stuff. If you're going to drive, don't drink. If you're going to drink, don't drive. Don't beat your wife. Don't beat your kid. Don't beat your dog. Uh, yeah, all that good stuff. Just make sure you cut, be safe. So you can come back from Monday edition when Eric Dame will be back and he will be able to help you learn more cool stuff. I just lost my complete train of thought. Crash on the tracks. Whatever. Anyway, I'm Super Producer Jake Hughes. You are you. Thank you so much for hanging out. And we will catch you guys next time. See ya! (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.